Oh, it turns blue, not green. Can you hear me now? All right, yeah. So what I said a minute ago was welcome to everyone, Mimi and Joan and Jim and Phyllis and Elizabeth and Connie who's hiding, but will come out when she feels uh, presentable. <laughs> um. <clears throat> Come back. You were here early, and all of a sudden, the I will start with action now. Sorry. All right, let's pray. Blessed Lord has caused all holy scriptures written for our learning. Grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace, never hold fast, the blessed hope of everlasting life which has given us our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you agree with that, you're supposed to say I do. Amen. What page? 1323. So, um, we're going to study for the last couple weeks, a couple of passages, a few passages about the resurrection. Um, but I thought it might... Um, Just start kind of considering what we've talked about so far. We've talked about um, in Isaiah 53, what, which we did the first week of Easter. Christ's um, he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. And this whole idea of him taking our sin upon him and being healed by that. I think the, the question we ought to think about is, well, how does that actually work? How are we healed by that? Um, what, in other words, I, I, I think that um, sometimes that this we might, we might, I want us to approach a little bit of what may be the um, the biology of the resurrection, if, if it were, uh, because. Um, I think sometimes the Christian hope is greatly truncated into, you know, really bad, and Jesus died and paid punishment for us, and so now God just kind of lets us off the hook, and here we are. And that's a really inadequate vision of of our redemption. Um, and it, so we have to we have to spend some time thinking about and understanding what what it means that Jesus became took. took and there's two things that Jesus ends up um, epitomizing for the sake of becoming man and his work. One is uh, humanity in general, Adam. We get that today. As in Adam, all die, so in Christ, and in Christ shall all be made alive. The other is Israel. And that's kind of what we dealt with in Isaiah in that suffering servant passage where the servant epitomizes the nation, sums up in his own life and behavior, fulfills, as it were, the vocation of the nation, so that the nation is justified in him. So, what was the vocation of Adam? And at the garden. Have dominion. Have dominion. Was that? Have dominion. Okay. To walk in fellowship with God. To walk in fellowship with God certainly is the first as the first priority that 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 they walk in fellowship and then um, out of that to um, rule over you know to have dominion which doesn't mean uh, monarchical rule yeah. but no. but but tending caring for the creation. Um, so how did how did Adam abandon that vocation? Disobedience. Disobedience. You listen to um, his wife. No. <laughs> um, to listen to the servant. So servants. he didn't walk in fellowship with God. He didn't do what God asked. So Israel comes along as a covenant community that's supposed to God establishes a covenant with particular people to begin to remedy that which was wrong in Adam with all people. And, and the idea, again, in choosing Israel is not that God only cared about Israel. The idea is that 
through Israel, all would be brought back to him. That's, that's is implicit in the suffering servant passages. I'll give you also as a light to the Gentiles. So Israel's vocation in on the heels of the Exodus and God giving them the Torah on Mount Sinai then is to, okay, to, to with the reality of redemption, the sacrifice, a sacrificial system that atones, now you walk in fellowship with me. So did they, did, how did they do? Unfaithful. <laughs> Bad news. So when, when Christ becomes man, God becomes man in Christ, he's coming to to remedy those two uh, problems. And, and sin causes a certain problem, which is separation from God. But in, in a one-word answer from Genesis 2, death. The day that you eat this, you will die. And, and Corinthians is going to talk about that. Um, and to, to Carol's point, we, we talk about that death meant essentially separation from God. Now, if, you, if we can get our arms around this, well, it, it, what, how does that work out? Well, to be not in communion with God who is life is to be in death. And this is exactly, for example, in our epistle for Easter 1, uh, St. John said, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That just harkens to the fact that this is the Son of the Father. To be in union with God is life. To not be in union with God is death. So the minute the bond of union was severed between Adam, Eve, and God, they were they 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 no longer they were dead. They were in a condition of sin and death from which they could not extricate themselves. Nothing they could do in in the offering of sacrifice or even, and that's kind of what later on becomes up in the Torah, even by their best efforts to get back there, can't get it done. So Christ becomes, God, Son of God becomes man to do for Israel and for all what Israel and all cannot do. And, 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 and so he's faithful to the Torah and he, um, uh, offers his life as 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 and and there's a whole lot of dimensions to this offering of this life because it's it's not just um, a punishment paid for sin. His life offered is the complete offering himself to God, which is the mark of fellowship that you will offer yourself, as Saint Paul says in Romans twelve. I beseech you, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. And so, um, so this when this life that was other than disordered human sinful life was offered wholly to God on the cross, on after a faithful life offered to God, then what happened after the cross on the cross? He rose from the dead. Well, before that. Oh, he died. He died. Yeah, he dies. Yeah. What is death? What is? How would death be experienced? Physical when we, death. When we say that somebody died, what just happened? Ceased to be. Ceased they to be cease to be alive. Well, yeah. let's, let's talk about this because um, don't I don't be. know that the Old Testament mm -hmm. suggests that everything about a person ceased to be. Yeah. The Old Testament had a place called Sheol. What was Sheol? Holding place. <laughs> like Abraham's bosom? So what was, well, oh, no. the Old Testament didn't have Abraham's bosom. Oh, the Old Testament only had Sheol. Okay. And what, what, who, what, what was in Sheol? Place where dead people went. There's All of them? Their souls, I guess. Hold on, let's, let's, not, be, let's not be imprecise if we're talking about the hope of resurrection. Oh, in Sheol, there was two divisions, right? For the, for the non-saved, or the non-believers, and also believers. Not in the Old Testament, there was no con That will come later on. Okay, all right. But in the Old Testament, we really don't get any of that. We just get, okay. you, you die and go to Sheol, and what it, and it's equivalent to the Greek Hades. Yeah. In, 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 in ancient thought, there was a common 
uh, belief that, in fact, this is what happened when you died. So, can we think of human beings in a in a in a sort of Jewish sense of this? You might think of as a as a um, bipartite existence. There's two parts. What part went to Sheol? Soul, soul, or or spirit, or soul. Yeah. Uh, and what what what's the other part? Your physical the body. body. What the body do? Just decays in the earth. Okay, it's buried. So, or cremated. The, the the thing that we, we cannot even begin to understand the biblical hope until we understand that that is the condition of death, the separation of soul or spirit from body. <clears throat> disembodied life is not in any Jewish stretch of imagination life. Wait, let me think about that. <laughs> disembodied life is not in any sense of the Jewish thought or belief or imagination life worth it's not life. It's 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 a problem because we we're we're in a condition that grips the Sheol and in order to have life, it has to it, there has to be life in the body, in the land, in God, with God's promises. So that if you are just dying, there's no sense at all in the Old Testament that they die and went to heaven. Right. Which is why it's an inadequate also understanding of Christian hope in the New Testament. Yeah. Bishop? Yes. So in the Old Testament. Enoch and Elijah bypassed death because of their faithfulness to God. Was that meant to be like a little glimpse of the truth that would be revealed fully in the New Testament? Well, it's very mysterious, obviously. We don't know yeah. what that meant for them. We know that they didn't. Uh, but I would only say that maybe not because not facing death they didn't face. They, they didn't have to deal with the reality of how, how death is conquered. They just were taken. Mm -hmm. uh, so. And can I just ask also because I've had people question me about about this. Is what did it mean then when Jesus said, you know, the two, uh, the guy, the the two guys in the next to him on the cross. He oh, said, "Today you will be with me in paradise." He didn't say both of them. No, no, just the one guy. The one guy. Yes, the one guy. So, so let's 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 get back in our narrative here because um, the ability for that thief with him in paradise this day was was a consequence of what Jesus was himself in doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he is going to. This is the very important Apostles' Creed where it says, "Was crucified, dead, buried. He descended into hell, which is Hades." And, and what that means is that Jesus died a real human death, mm -hmm. in which his body was buried, and his spirit or soul went to the place where departed spirits go. Mm. But he went there differently than other spirits proceeding. Why? He's leading them out of captivity. Well, okay, let's just talk about who, so, so let's talk about it. Okay, so in the in the... Hebrew idea of shale, shale is kind of a, a holding tank of shades. In the Greek understanding, it was the place where the departed went and they were ruled over by the Greek god Hades. Mm -hmm. But that you you were you were you know this this state. Um, and so in other words, the idea is that death had a hold on you. Mm -hmm. Wow. Death is an enemy that has taken you. And separated you from life, which is God. So when Jesus, as the Lord of life, descends into Hades, he goes to literally set the captives free because his his life and death faithfulness allows him now to descend into the realm of the dead as the Lord of the dead over whom he rules, and take those who are his with him. As in the words of just a, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And 
Um, so the, the, when I talk about biology, this actually changed the cosmic reality of death. So today we'd be in paradise because I'm going to, um, from now on, those who have are connected to me, who have life in me, in their state of, of death, after death and before resurrection, will, will, will be somehow connected to God. But no longer, death will no longer be the, 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 the completion of their separation from God. Now, and, but, but even then, um, even then, the, the state of those, of, of those people is not a final state. And this is what, um, uh, the New Testament introduces that was a little bit foreign to Jewish thought, or it was not foreign would be too strong. It was some fine print on what it meant to be raised from the dead. Because at the time of Christ, the Jewish people were looking for the Messiah to come and raise Israel. They they read Ezekiel 37 too, like you all did last week. Um, and A lot of the, 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 the real and metaphorical aspects of New Testament hope are, you know, are caught up in Ezekiel 37. That Israel is the valley of dry bones, they're buried. What's that mean? They're in exile. They're cut off from the land and from the covenant and from the sacrifices that perpetuate the covenant. They are dead. So, yes, yes, Israelites physically died. But that's not the thing Ezekiel is primarily looking at. They're dead because they're because exile marks being cut off from the life of God, as it as it symbolizes throughout the Old Testament. It goes back to the garden. He kicked them out of the garden. They're cherubim to guard the tree of life. No life. You're in exile. Same thing with Israel. You're kicked out of the land. There's no temple. There's no sacrifice. There's there's, um, there's just this life waiting for God to come and fix it. And that's the prayer of intertestamental Israel. Even after they come back and rebuild the temple, but it clearly isn't land, prosperity, long life, God's presence with them. And this whole exile theme, it's interesting how it kind of juxtaposes with the Hades theme, because Death is its own exile from which God brings us back. And in the New Testament, then, um, but the main thing I want to start with before we jump into Corinthians is that that the death is an enemy that Christ conquered because he was uh, the God-man who lived a faithful life and descended in our form, met death, and conquered death. It's not just some um, judicial little punishment here, you're free. It's not just a judicial decision. It's an organic biological reality that death itself and is conquered. I'm just becoming aware of that's the reason that the Son of God had to come down in, in a God-man in that form in order to conquer death because God himself couldn't do it without his son. So you have a separation of, of God and man. You have the Holy Trinity, the, the Son, yeah. becomes us to fulfill all we need yeah. to do to be to be brought back to God or to bring us back. Mm-hmm. And metaphorically, then, in the New Testament, this is why baptism is considered resurrection, because um, although it's not the final embodied resurrection, through baptism and faith in Jesus, and this is very important, the gift of the Holy Spirit, which almost all of our Eastertide Gospels from now on are talking about. Last week began it in John. What is life like in the Spirit? Well, if you think about it in biological terms, it's, it's being restored to the condition of Adam and Eve before they ate the fruit. Because in the Spirit, and, the, and we were cut off from the tree of life, and now Jesus is the bread of life, and all the Eucharistic illusions that come to that, we are now, we can eat of the, of the fruit of the tree of life and live, we're alive. 
Can I ask you a question yes. on that? Because in, in um, the elements of the spiritual life by Harton, he, he also talks about, maybe I didn't understand it correctly, that because Christ became man and we have the Holy Spirit, that we can take on aspects of, the, of, of God, of, of Christ in, in our being. Well, I mean, that's clearly what the New Testament says. Okay. We're members of the body. <laughs> we're, we're supposed right. to have, with, he, he gives, gifts, gives us gifts, we can be like him. And, and, our, and our adoption is actually like a biological adoption. Like, like yeah. which blew my mind. Yes, yes. Blew my mind. Yeah. You, yeah. That, that, that is why for us, the sacramental reality, yeah. though, we know that we need, you know, we need to have put faith in Jesus um, and um, trust him. But the biological moments where water is put on is poured over someone as the mark that this gift has been given, and there is now a, a, a seed of the Spirit. And, and this ties into the resurrection hope, because it's very physical and embodied. Mm. That's why water at a moment in time, baptized on this day, is important. As opposed to the idea, well, I, I came to faith. When did that happen? When the Spirit given to you? I don't, I'm not discounting subjective spiritual experiences, yeah. mm-hmm. but, but when all your life depends upon, I kind of felt it that day, but they don't kind of feel it. No. God, <laughs> on this day, you were incorporated into the body of Christ through baptism. <clears throat> and Christian life is in large measure a matter of growing into or becoming that which we have been made to be by baptism and faith. I'm stuck back on Adam and Eve. <laughs> there was no forgiveness for them. I mean, not, you said no matter what they did, they're... they're well, I didn't say there wasn't forgiveness in the sense of, of what the Old Testament would call atonement. In the Old Testament, the sense of atonement is covering. You, your, your sin is <clears throat> somehow hidden from God's sight provisionally so that he's not going to take out its... It, it, it's 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 it just in some way God can live in fellowship with you despite the presence of sin. Whereas in the New Testament in Christ it becomes cleansed and washed away. So there's a, a, a distinct difference between covering and interior cleansing. And so um, so they they could live in a state of forgiveness, but they could not have what we have in terms of, of the, the, the full fruits of what Christ has done. And what they had, they had only in as much as aspects of the Old Covenant anticipated that which was to be. So by, by putting one's faith in what God was doing in the Old Covenant and, and, and you know, going through the rituals of, of, of sacrifice for sin, you could, God would, uh, you could, you could, you could provisionally be made a part of God's people until he fulfilled it. But this is why what Jesus did is the center of human history. And, you know, all these things, the veil of the temple is torn in two. And the, the end of the old, because now the new is here. And we live now in the spirit. Now, the key here is this, that this is the thing that to get us into, um, and we'll, we'll jump into some, some, text here, but so we now are alive in these bodies even though these bodies will die but but the life we have in these bodies carry, carries with it the hope and longing for our ultimate resurrection so though we have to encounter the reality of physical death where our bodies are buried our souls go now our souls go in some sense in New Testament language asleep with Christ, paradise. Um, it's all we're told. Very little, but we just know that that's, it's somehow still in relationship with God. So our death no longer, we, we, and this is the important thing to say is because we have, it's not, and this is the language I think of a lot of people, which is really that we tend to adopt is not biblical. That the idea that, that we hope to be saved at the last judgment, either we are, we, either we have life now, or we don't have life now. 
what's revealed at the last judgment is whether or not we have life. And so the life we have now is, is contained in a body that will die and buried. That body, as we'll see here, contains in the seed of the hope of resurrection. In our intermediate state now, we get somehow to go be with Christ. We have no idea what that is. Lots been written in, in complete inverse proportion to what we know. <laughs> but what we do know is that the dead, along with the living, are waiting for Christ to return, raise the dead, and complete his kingdom, establish it, fulfill what was begun, what was inaugurated, this is the way to think about it, inaugurated on, on the cross and the resurrection. and on A fully embodied resurrection. A fully embodied, which is what we get into here. So this is what we're talking about as we live the Christian life and we we know we're going to die. Um, we're, we're really longing, if we understand the Christian hope rightly, not just to put these bodies aside and go to some spiritual existence, um, but we're longing for the restoration of the fullness of life in the body, in the creation, in the world. That's what Christ died to do. We're in an interim period where that work is being carried out now in us, in the world, in ways we don't understand. But Jesus is Lord and he's doing this work. But this life in us is a real thing. And it and our hope is that that we will be restored to life in the body when Jesus appears. So let's let's Bishop. yes, please. And then I'll let St. Paul talk for a second. Yeah, yeah. I just was reflecting a lot this morning after morning prayer on Psalm 91, and it's so much goes with what you're saying. It says, you know, because you have made the Lord, the I am, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, you know, because we're living in that, no evil shall befall you, nor any plague, blah, blah, blah. He shall give his angels charge over you, you know, and then, lest you dash your foot against the stone, you shall tread, up, this is what I'm seeing, Jesus' life, you shall tread upon the lion and the snake and the cobra, you know, he stepped on that, he defeated that. The young lion and the serpent, you shall trample underfoot. And he's teaching us how to do that. And we're living in that. Because we have set, you know, he has set his love upon me. Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high, you know, back to this place with God. Because he has known my name. Um, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And the word salvation in Hebrew is Yeshua, is Jesus. It's like, I will show him my Jesus. It's like he's saying that. You know, there's like secret codes in this. But I don't know. I was just seeing how well, the, and, and, and the dragon that he defeated. And that's the, the that's right meaning of the, of the Psalms, as yeah. Cheryl's yeah. right yeah. pointing out, understands the Psalms are primarily about Christ yeah. as the servant who God favors. But since we're baptized into him... Yeah. All that is said about him, we receive through faith, baptism and faith in him. We can embrace those as we stay connected to that life we have in him. And that's, that's how we read the Psalms that way, um, Christologically. Just something about him defeating the dragon or whatever. Like, I need to hear that all the time. <laughs> well, this is, of course, this, this and, and this is something that... Uh, we should highlight here that defeating the dragon, defeating the evil one, this is why the battle of Jesus was fighting made no sense visibly. Mm -hmm. But what's he doing out in the wilderness? Mm -hmm. Taking on the evil one. No, I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. God said this. Mm -hmm. He got, he got our, our far back there ancestors, but no, I'm going to do what they didn't do. Mm -hmm. And then um, the... Uh, The real, but the real power, and the real power of fear is death. That's where Jesus actually conquers, because he is faithful unto death. And the moment of, that he dies, that seems like the devil's ultimate triumph, mm -hmm. is a moment of conquest. Covenant is fulfilled. The death is offered, and we're set free from death. It also and helps us understand the Christian life, why our battle is often disconcerting, because we always want to 
understand victory in, in merely human and temporal categories. But victory for us is faithfulness against <coughs> temptation to be unfaithful. <coughs> Sometimes faithfulness results in, you know, like Jesus after, after the temptation of the garden, you know, sweating great drops of blood, mm-hmm. but that's what, that's, so faithfulness, not, not, you know, God blesses us in a lot of ways, all that kind of stuff, but this faithfulness to him, not the visible blessings of this world that mark the victory. Mm-hmm. And, um, all right, let's jump in. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to do a section, there's a section we skipped because I just want to talk about it. It's a a digression that that we'll get into, and you'll have more questions about that than the important stuff, so I'm just going to talk about it. Okay. All right, so verse 20. Um, But now Christ is risen from the dead, and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Okay, first fruits. Where does this, where does this language of um, first fruits come from? Offering. Where? I mean, it's in the Torah, right? Yeah. So offer, which you offer God the first of all of our produce, our, yeah, our livestock. And what was there a feast of first fruits in the Bible? Uh, yeah, yeah. What uh, time of year did it take place? In the fall. Well, no, that's kind of the India. The first fruits were when? Um, this one, your first harvest and oh. your first crop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All the springs. So it was. It was associated with Passover. Yeah. Okay. It was. It, it, oh. the, it was during the Passover oh, yeah. that the first sheaf of grain from the field is ceremoniously oh. taken into the into the uh, temple and offered, and. So, as as something called the first fruits, what does it promise? Oh, that more will come. More will come. Yeah. Here's a grain. Here's a sheaf. But the harvest is coming. We're going to have the whole harvest. And 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 so, if Christ is the first fruits of them who have fallen asleep, what does that promise? More to come. More to come. Who? Us. us. I hope us. He's the first <laughs> he is the first chief. Now, I want to highlight this in terms of the feast of the Old Testament, because as I said, the first the, the offering of the first fruits took place in the context of Passover, which was when Jesus died and and rose in, in the in the immediate context of the Passover feast, um, where they offered the first fruits. But then um, Fifty days later, on Pentecost, they celebrated the completion of the barley harvest. And they would offer a finished loaf of bread. First sheaf of grain on Passover, finished loaf of bread on Pentecost. So what comes on Pentecost? The Holy Spirit. Spirit. So how does that relate? That's our finished loaf of bread right there. To Jesus then, when we receive the Spirit... Now we are we are the completed work. The church becomes the body of Christ raised from the dead. And this notice why the New Testament uses this resurrection language. So so through the Spirit, you 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 were dead. That is cut off from the life of God. Now you're alive in the Spirit. And and, and while it's and this is the foundational tension of the New Testament and the Christian life. It, that rightly understood is inaugurated eschatology, that with the Spirit, the kingdom is here, now, in us. That's awesome. But it's not completely <laughs> all the way here. <laughs> and all of the longing of the Christian life that we have for to transcend our limitations, our mortality, and to be free in the body is a longing for the telos. And this is something I've, I've preached a lot about, but I, I, I want to emphasize when we talk about New Testament, then comes the end. Please, every time you hear that word, think completion. Mm-hmm. Tell us. Because the end of time, especially with our rampant 
prophecy teaching, this on the end of coming. It's like what's coming is the completion of the new creation, the telos, which 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 would the reason God created the world in the beginning, there was sin and fall. Now Christ, through his work, has restored the human condition to to to, to fellowship with God. And that's the beginning of the new creation. And this is the language of new creation then, because when Christ descends into hell and conquers death and comes back, the only word that can be sufficiently used to describe what happened there is new creation. Something new came out that, that wasn't never there before. And that's like the new man coming from the dead. Uh, and then, when, so when the Spirit breathes on us in baptism, we are raised, and it harkens back to Genesis 2-7. He breathed in our nostrils the breath of life. And Jesus, in the upper room on Easter night, he breathed on them, and, and receiving the Holy Spirit. So, Christ is the first fruits. And, and we are the, the we are we are already participating in being through baptism and faith, being raised in anticipation of our, act, of our actual resurrection. And notice falling asleep. That's that's a typical New Testament idea of that. You fall asleep, and everything anyone says about what that means is speculation. With Christ, somehow. Okay? Paradise, okay. Good sleep. Not nightmares. <laughs> you have no idea what they want to give you. What they um, somebody else probably has a better book on it. <laughs> For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So by man, Adam came death. And the idea, this is. Uh, we should note here that it's really hard to um, maintain a biblical orthodoxy if we really want to discount uh, an original human yeah. who, yeah. Set, who did something, who got passed along. The idea that the, 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 the ancient ancestor biologically messed up, genetically messed up, messed, created a condition of separation so that everybody after him is born in this condition of separation. And in Christ, all be made alive, everyone who is in Christ is reconciled. This incidentally is one reason the church has always baptized infants, because if we're going to surmise that the state of birth were born into this condition, even though the child made no choice, then we can give the child life as an extension of, of the family's faith, even though the child had no choice. And, and so that's, um, now, again, all sorts of arguments ensue from there about, well, if you have, you know, yes, when they become of age, they must you know, have their own faith and all that kind of stuff, but just for the reason why you do it, that's why. And I noticed you at that baptism, you speak to the parents, the parents are really brought in on this about, you know, yeah, you're, you're promising for them. Yes. And, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious that parents are going to have a lot of influence, and so you're supposed to, you know, supposed to, you know. So all should be alive, but each one in his own order. I don't know where you are. Chapter 15, verse 20. Chapter uh, 15, verse... Uh, I, I encourage you also, I'll give you a link to, a, to a, a larger print. I've got, my print is like 14 here. I got one that's 16 point. Oh, that's Again, good. It's, it's, uh, I, um, but we're <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23. Okay. Well, we just said, for as an animal die, even so Christ shall all be made alive. So, um, it's interesting, too, that, that uh, and St. Paul there gets at the tension between we are alive, but full life will be resurrection, ultimately. 
And, and he says, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. That's one thing. Christ is the first fruits. Afterward, those who are Christ that is coming. Throughout the New Testament, Christ will come and raise the dead. Then comes the end, the telos, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. This this is one of those fascinating verses in Indestiny. When he has put an end to all rule and all authority and power, which suggests that there's an enduring battle going on now, Christ in heaven, where, where he's... The decisive victory's already been fought, but he, but in his work in the world, the powers and principalities are, are being uh, overcome. Can you speak also to the, the words he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father? Because he's that ties in with the second half. You just yeah. Well, I, I think the the idea seems to be here that that Adam, made in the image of God, made to live in communion with God, who rebelled and led a rebellion that was actually governed by spiritual forces, angels and archangels, and that was a rebellion. So Christ, the new Adam, comes and conquers that enemy, and when he's got it all ironed out, he brings it back to God. Now now I'm bringing this back to you. That which Adam and, and the powers of evil separated, I now am, am restored. That's, that's quite an image. <laughs> all rule and all authority and all power. I think this is like, harkens to Ephesians chapter 6, where it talks about the church about we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, who know the end is coming, but still in this interim period before the end, there still is a, a kind of battle. You know, a lot of people use the analogy of, of you know, at the end of World War II, there was a, the, the war was over, but there were still some mop-up skirmishes where things had to be cleared out, and, and that's kind of what the, the idea of this. So some holdouts. Yeah. For he must reign, verse 25, till he has put all enemies under his feet. Mm-hmm. Now, under his feet, there's a, a, a important, important uh, references here. Um, and this, one of the key psalms is quoted a lot in the New Testament, is Psalm 110. Um, and it says, um, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Mm-hmm. Now, also under his feet, harkens back to Genesis 3. And after the fall, um, God said to, uh, I'll put in between the, the seat of the woman and the seed of the serpent, mm-hmm. and you will bruise his head, and he will bruise your heel. Mm-hmm. The bruising of the serpent's head by the by the foot of the descendant of Eve, and this this comes out in um, its application to us in Romans sixteen. Verse 20. Yeah, turn the eyes to read it And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Nice. Now, the idea, the interesting idea here is that, um, interesting maybe, oh, interesting. <laughs> it's like, but um, that in In Christ, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Christ, the Lord, Jesus, who had become man, who had pinned my shoe vocation, is completely surrendered to the will of the Father 
and completely trusts, and therefore the Father crushes the enemies under his feet. So likewise, as we bring ourselves under dominion, so it's not he fights for us as we trust him. And and there's a, a juxtaposition of human weakness and divine strength. St. Paul brings this out in 2 Corinthians, where, where he, he says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That he prayed for healing, he didn't get healing. But God said, in your weakness, you, you um, I, th- I think what weakness does for us is make us dependent upon God, which is paradoxically. So how about the paradox you just quoted in Romans? The God of peace will crush Satan. Well, and, and, and the thing about that is, of course, God of peace is shalom, which is the, a key word in, in the Old Testament of the consequence of the covenant is shalom. Mm-hmm. We, we will have peace as a result of the covenant. Well, what's that mean? The defeating of evil, crushing, and when we, when we conquer that. So um, so we, we should understand this, this is maybe... This is something too that, that worthy of a little bit of digression in the sense that um, we talk about the spiritual battle and we, we encounter evil in the world. Um, it doesn't have dominion over us. It has for us as it had for Jesus the power to tempt and test. And it's God's will that it be so. Mm-hmm. That we that our um, faithfulness, we see it. Are you with it? So we, we have these these things come upon us, and we defeat those powers the same way Jesus did by remaining faithful. The devil tried best he could in the wilderness. Get out of here. And then, then the garden. There was another temptation. Don't go through. Don't don't do this. Nevertheless, not 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 uh, my will, but your will be done. To the point where, at the point of greatest apparent weakness, death, he gets the great conquest. So, for us, our own surrender to the word and will of God in our lives is the means of conquering. So, is that the purpose that the telos hasn't occurred yet? Is for us to be tested? Is that a primary consideration? Well, I mean, it seems like a, a primary consideration was the preaching of the gospel around the world. That that that, that seems to be the real reason to go, you know, to bring us back into the nation to have have the kingdom proclaimed, the good news proclaimed that everyone can come, and then and then. Uh, but testing of our faith has to be right in there too. Yeah, I mean, that comes along with the proclamation of the kingdom that everyone has to you know, find ways, you know, everyone's called to be faithful in the midst of all that. Right. Okay. For he must reign through what's all enemies under his feet. Now, notice that the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Death is an enemy. Mm-hmm. It's not... Um, and I, 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 this, this is something that in our in popular spiritual language, people talk about death as entry into eternal life or entry into this. But while we certainly hope that the redemption one in Christ will be as broadly applied as possible, apart from Christ, death is not entry into eternal life. Death is the finalization of one's captivity to separation. And this, the, the gospel only makes sense as salvation, if we're saved from something, that's precisely what we're saved from. So the last enemy who destroyed is death. When he completes a new creation, there will be no more death. There'll just be life that doesn't end. Get up and think about it. <laughs> 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 or whether, whether there'll be aches and pains in the eternal spiritual body just to keep us humble, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so we won't yeah. 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 we'll be crying about this. Yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. Okay. 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 We have the answer. Let's make that. It's all good. The last thing we destroyed is death. So, um, 
we are, we've, and we're in this paradoxical position of having life, having conquered death, but still having to suffer physical death, which is a, you know, a thing we face. But paradoxically, so the goal of the Christian life is not to forever be able to avoid that reality. It is to face it faithfully. That's why we pray in church for the grace of every death, which means what? To die at peace with God and Christ the Spirit, having faced all the errors you know and receive forgiveness, having as much as lies within you being reconciled in peace, with it. and so we can enter into life without you know without any. Um, that's why the most important preparation for any you know we should uh, you know the, the the most important work. Of, of aging, it's important young too, because you never really know when this is going to happen. No. Uh, is is to is faithfulness, confessing sins, ordering life in a new way, fulfilling the 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 duties of love. That's what will. That's and and then finally, whenever it is, then we were. That's that's what Christ did. That's how we follow him. For he has put all things under his feet. When he says all things are put under him, this is thick language. Mm -hmm. It is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted, which means to say that the Father is not under the Son. The Father has put all things under the Son. And notice something about this under. How does this relate back to Genesis? What did Adam and Eve have? We had talked this earlier in the class. What were they given over the creation? Dominion. So, so all things put he's going to be given to restore the dominion. That was lost through sin. Adam was supposed to take dominion. And in many ways, um, if we understand the spiritual life as the, as, as, as the taking of dominion, because our, our enemies of the world, the flesh, and the devil... The flesh as an enemy, we need to practice through our disciplines of fasting and prayer and take dominion. No, I'm not going to do what the what that that fallen created part of me tempts me to do. I'm going to say no. What Adam you should have done to the serpent. See, that's a nice idea, serpent. But we were told not to eat this fruit, so we're not going to do it. Step on you. That's dominion. No, I won't let this thing rule over me. And, and this is why the spiritual life, we, we're, we're trying to take dominion. So the power of no, and like a lot of times in our, in our day and age, freedom is, is interpreted as I can do anything I want to do, but usually that really is a captivity. Yeah, yeah. I'm free to do everything, but you're probably not free not to do something. Yeah. So you can test your freedom over something by, can you not do it? Can you say no? And that's honestly... Fasting as a spiritual discipline is really, I think, centrally related to this. It's about freedom. I want to practice saying no, so my yes can be free. Because I can't say yes, I enjoy this unless I can say no. So, all things under his feet, Jesus is, is being restored to dominion. And we, because we will rule with him, which simply means the language of the Bible, we're going to be restored to the vocation we had at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And the new creation will be a place of... And it's an interesting um, reflection, I think, to, to just meditate on. So I think most of our visions of eternity get really truncated because they're so caught up in bad images and we floating on clouds. And, and the new creation is the fulfillment of this creation. A tree in the new creation will make these trees look like a sad Diseased. relationship to that. <laughs> our, 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 the most beautiful human will look like, you know, a pathetic thing in relationship to those, mm -hmm. to the resurrection of the body, what we will have. And so, um, since, and, and, and somehow there will be endless creativity and, and, and life. Think of the, of the stuff of life. It's hard for us to get our minds around a life free from the main things that afflict us, which are what? Sorrow, death, crying, pain. As the former things are passed away. What if we just had life? Mm -hmm. 
It's just, it's 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 you can't conceptualize. But it's that's that's the restoration of 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 that. And and again, this is why the resurrection hope and the idea of the renewal of the creation, even the resurrection of the creation, it's not too strong to say that. St. Paul uses that language in Romans 8. Um, is so important because I think we can long for God to complete human life and creation in a way that all the things we really enjoy are, are always there and none of the things we don't. I think we get it and we truncate it to, we're going to go to heaven and it's like, wow. Well, I'd like to go out and be with my friend. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that man, of course, that's a bad translation. I remember hearing you say this just for the first time, I, I think the first year I was here, and just like, <laughs> it was so amazing to me because I did have that vision that it's like, because people would say, oh, don't plan on that, and right. or don't, you know, it's going right. <laughs> to be like, Wow, because to me, God's creation is so amaz- amazing, and our human human beings are amazing, and in that restored state, it'll just be... Well, this is something that I think my own sense of this, I mean, if you read the Bible, if you read the Bible a lot, which we do as a church, and then the offices, I've done yeah. this now for about a generation, mm-hmm. um, you become aware of what it says about things, yeah. and you become aware that it's not saying what people are saying, I think one of the things that really got me onto this, though, was a, a, a little story of when I first came back to faith in the 1980s. And um, my dad used to take me to these uh, Christian businessmen's breakfasts. And uh, there was a good, good group of guys. I, I like these dudes. They're mostly Baptist guys. Baptist, um, but but they were all tend to be what was called dispensationalists, yes, assuming we were in the in tribulation yes, yes, and, and, and the world was going to be torched. And what troubled me was was was, was that um, as I began to read, I was like, wait a minute, yeah. they're talking about this, but they don't seem to be too happy about it. Mm-hmm. It's like you're going to come and it's like Sherman's march to the sea, and <laughs> we want to be on the boat out when that happens. But I read the Bible, and it's like, come, Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's like, why, I'm saying what's the problem with this approach to faith that leaves people saying Jesus is coming, but really not being that excited about it? Because I, I felt like, okay, uh, if he's coming, all right, Jesus, you know, take me on the boat, but why don't you wait, you know, about 10 years and let me do some things I wanted? Because there's no sense yes. of completion. There's no sense that it's true. there's something... And so I think the more I, 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 I then I realized the, the real errors of dispensationalism, but that that's among them is that there's not a real sense of how the inaugurated kingdom will be fulfilled in in, in created terms. It tends to be a, a a salvation somehow separate from God's actual biblical plan. It's just a bad. It's it's. It's, uh, you know, an, an image of the resurrection of creation, probably one of the best, you know, I mean, just one of the best, that's too strong, accessible is in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, when at the last great battle, he says what's left, and there's, there's actually the renewal of, 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 of it, not, 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 it's not done. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, he says everything that was good in Narnia or in England is here now. Those were just like the shadows. So your your father bought into the, that. He didn't really buy into that. He wasn't really a, a, he wasn't. Um, my dad was an interesting guy. He liked the group. He he believed, but he didn't. He, he didn't. No, he wasn't. He didn't. He, he was wasn't like in the Bible at that level. He didn't understand what that would mean. Yeah. You know, um, uh, there's a lot of yeah, a lot of religious background, a lot of religious aspects to my dad that were interesting. But anyway, it was, <laughs> um, uh, was he Anglican? Was she getting? Yeah, my family was Episcopalian. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, I okay. Wish, uh, they were. Uh, both my parents were Episcopalian. My 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 dad was Northern California Episcopalian from the farm country, hmm. and then my mom was Episcopalian from Southern California. Mm-hmm. So when he says back to summarize this this verse and we'll 
stop years. I was way too optimistic about that. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's good. Good. That's good. That's good. Right. 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 So it's, it's evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. The father will not be subject to the son. The subject, son is subject to the father in presenting the kingdom to him. Now when all things are made subject to him, that is the father, then the son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him. The God may be all in all. Now the interesting thing about this, about this subject and this submission, because in our, in our culture, Submission is such a dirty word. Mm-hmm. And yet, biblically, it's, it's a word of freedom. Um, and there's two great, we, we see um, two great acts of submission. One is the mother of God, behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto the Lord, submitting herself to the word of God so that the word becomes flesh in her. And we, she's the epitome for the church. We all do that. And now Christ, he will fully submit to the Father. And, and it is the harmony. And what, what, we're, what we're talking about with this submission is not the kind of, I mean, you know, you can't boss me around. I can tell you what to do, that kind of thing. It is that we're all subject to, to the, the, um, the law of God, the Torah, and primarily to the law of love. And, and that's our mutual submission to one another in the body is really not about who can tell me what to do, but the preeminence of the greater good of the body to my personal thing I might want to press and my concern for. So if, I, if I'm willing, you know, if I'm able to make a sacrifice of something I might want to do so that you might benefit, that's an act of love. Now, as we talk about in our classes about emotional health, just like in order to say yes to something, you have to say no. Giving is something in a healthy way. If I'm going to sacrifice, I have to be able to not sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Some people are all I'm just giving, 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 and mm-hmm. that can be a that that's where the the resentment comes in, and, and the where somebody takes advantage of somebody in their submission. Um, that's not what we're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about the the mutual giving of of one to another in love that results in the multiplication of benefits to everybody. And I just want to go that because I, I, I every time we talk about giving, because everyone's you're supposed to give, you're supposed to give. I'm like, okay, I guess I don't. You know, it, it's it, it's giving doesn't mean you can never say no. I don't I I I don't feel like I can do this thing here in this time. You know, because you know, you can. It doesn't mean you can't draw boundaries by giving. Or every time someone says to give, but this—that's a submission also to God's law. No, I think my own. I think God is calling me to do this and not that. I keep thinking of the father, the prodigal son. He's looking for his son. He's not in with the pigsty with him. He's letting him do that. That's what keeps helping me keep that balance. Is like he—he's not running after him, chasing him. Anymore once he chooses that. Well, in the kingdom too, I think in our relationship, he finds it the requires a a um, a respect of each other as persons with a will, mm-hmm. so that I may. And a lot of times in 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 human affairs and even in the church, it's like I we end up under the name of giving, imposing something on somebody that they don't really want, mm-hmm. as the ability to to be clear about what well, God. God gives us freedom within his will, submission to the law of love. He feel what, what do you want? And, and, and that's, that's an important question that can be asked once we get past mere selfishness or but we have to be able to have a self. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't it, Jesus submits to the Father and then the Father turns around after that submission and gives him dominion? So, so th- this this is this is That's always the um, the, the the act, and uh, Schmemann does this well for Life of the World, where Eucharist is taking the creation and offering it to God in Thanksgiving, and when it's freely offered, what do we get? The creation to enjoy. Uh-huh. So that which is offered 
is received back. It's and that's the paradox of saving your life and losing it. When we let go, we possess. When we possess, we lose. And and so I think there's all those things are caught up in that, in that in those concepts there. And in that I see true communion. That's what I see as communion. It is a willful giving, a willful joining, and that's received from the other side that way, and that is communion. That's right. Yeah. And a lot of our growth is, is learning to give it with pure motive. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of times learning to respect the other. What do you really want? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because a lot of times we're, you know, I, I, you know, I will, you know, that too late now. But, um, <laughs> They're like, I want to have a and eat it too. I'm like, you don't get that. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not sorry. Take or meal. <laughs> um, all right. So we will then, uh, what, what I, our second section that we'll pick up on Corinthians next time is uh, from verse 35 on, like I said, you can go read commentaries on uh, 29 or uh, 34 and argue with someone else. Uh, I just want to talk about it. We're going to read 35 through the end of the chapter, and we'll start there next time. Let us pray, Lord, bless us and keep us. The Lord, make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. The Lord, lift up his countenance upon us, give us peace this day and forevermore. Amen. Well, you said we're starting on 29 next time. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, 35.